Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, it's the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Echegaray. How are you, my friend? What's up, buddy? How's it going? It's going well. Another week starts. Um, soccer never stops, even though we're during a FIFA window here. We've got lots to talk about. Uh, this week here. We're going to talk about the U.S. men's national team uh, beating Canada at last 4-1. to At last. We're going to talk about about Mexico beating Panama. We're going to talk about Mexico losing in the final of the Under-17 World Cup. Lots to talk about with player movement. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, several other players, big-name players being traded in MLS over the past week. Thierry Henry becoming the coach of Montreal. Going to talk a little Euro 2020, who's in, who's out, um, as those spots get filled. And then we're also going to talk about a little bit of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, We're going to get into the U.S. women's national team, the very popular high-performance coach Don Scott, reportedly leaving for England, which would be a very big loss. Uh, And then we're going to talk South American uh, roundup during the window here. We're going to talk about... Uh, Man City Chelsea this Saturday, which is a pretty big game. I feel we have to talk about that. Yes, I, th- I think we should. Uh, and then a couple other topics. There's so you know you may think because it's the FIFA window. Oh, there's not much to talk about. There's actually a lot to talk about. Every time the FIFA window comes, I think, oh, it's going to be a little quieter, and it actually ends up being so much more work. <laughs> so let's start with the U.S. men's national team beating Canada four to one, and my take on this one. Uh, as I wrote in my column on SI.com Friday night, this is better. But beating Canada at home should never be a big deal, and it, and it won't be here. This was a strange situation in the sense that it was a very big high-stakes game in the negative sense. If the U.S. had lost this game, chances were very high that I would have written a column that night calling for Greg Burhalter to resign. Yeah. We had gotten to that point. We were in the conversation of it. I wouldn't have Because I was working the live blog and you were working the recap, and that's literally our conversation. I would not have wanted to write that, but I would have written that. Um, and so, obviously, a high-stakes game in that regard. U.S. ends up winning it. Um, by winning it, kind of ho-hum. This is the way things should be for the U.S. men's national team. They've got a lot of work to do. Um, interesting st- stuff to talk about here in this game. Um Only 37% possession for the U.S. at home against Canada. Should that matter? Well, it's a really good question, especially when the U.S. men's national team hired a manager who specifically focuses on possession-based soccer. So does it matter from the game itself in terms of what you just talked about, where it's it's a good win, it's a confidence booster, it's something that allowed Berholter and his squad to feel good about, you know, momentum and so forth. And in the specter of 90 minutes, winning at the end of the day and winning with grit and fire and good counter-attacking play is important. But in the overall scheme of things, now what? Are we just throwing all the papers out the window? I thought the whole point was that this was meant to be 
a process about the possession-based game. You were in a conference with Ernie Stewart talking about believing in the possession. So 37% possession game doesn't matter. No, but I want to know the game plan here. Like, you know, it's got, why don't we ask the same thing of Spain? What if Spain wins on 37% possession? What if, you know, I'm not comparing Spain to the U.S. men's, but I'm talking about overall uh, philosophy. So to me, no, it doesn't matter, but I do want to know what the strategy is. Yeah, in this game, in this context, I do not care about the amount of possession. This was a game about winning, Yeah, and the U.S. won the game. And I, I wrote this after the loss to Canada in Toronto. was like, for the next game... Greg Berhalter needs to forget about all the stuff that he's been overcoaching them with and yeah. all the possession stuff. Win the game. Yeah. Now, eventually, long term, if you're playing against Canada at home, should you have more possession? Sure. But I would also say this. If you remember the World Cup final, France won the World Cup final 4-2 against Croatia. And they did not have the majority of possession in that game. France was essentially a counterattacking team in the World Cup final. And I, I was in that game. After that game, I had a show on Fox with Gus Hiddink, you know, great manager, who was like, that was disgraceful. <laughs> and I love Gus. I mean, it was just an absolute treat to share a show with him for a month. But... I was really surprised by that and, and argued with him a little bit about it because France deserved to win that game. And it doesn't really matter that they didn't have the majority of the possession. They won the game. The former youth coach in me always thinks about this argument and maybe one day in the future I'll write something about it because, as you know, I'm obsessed with tactics and all that stuff. I think that there is a big difference and there needs to be an understanding between possession and control. When you control a game, possession is not what we're talking about. There are plenty of teams in the past, in the present, that are able to maintain a certain level of control in a game because they are so sure of their shape, both defensively and when they counter or when they have the ball, that possession to them, or at least the majority of it, is not important. I would actually use Liverpool as an example in situations. Now, they obviously, against lower teams, they may contain possession, but that's not Jurgen Klopp's biggest strategy. To him, it's about making sure that when they have the ball, they are in control in the final third. The same thing can be said of Atletico Madrid and Diego Simeone. The same thing can be said of Jose Mourinho's most successful right. teams. So to me, possession and control are two different things. With the U.S. men's national team, we have, and we have a, a, it's a roller coaster of expectations with them. It's like you said at the very, very beginning. Yes, it was a great win and it showed grit and eh, determination. Nah, it was a good win. It wasn't a great win. But, it, but the thing is, in the scheme of things, without Pulisic, without all these players, it was a strong win. But, but it was Canada. And there's a lot to be done. So whenever I look at this, it's, we have to understand that like this is a team that didn't qualify for the Men's World Cup. This is a team that lost the last qualifying game against Trinidad and Tobago. It's, you know, and we haven't seen anything. Okay, we saw a game against Canada showing some great determination, et cetera, but there's still plenty to do. A couple of things I would say. This wasn't even a good win to me. This was an okay win. Uh, I would also say Canada in the first half in particular was very poor. Yeah, terrible. 
nowhere near where they were in the previous game. They were better in the second half and actually got the goal and created more. They didn't have that many chances, though, in this game. And I really thought John Brooks being back, you really want to see that on a consistent basis. If he can stay healthy, if he can be productive for the U.S., you need him back there. Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked about John Brooks. He's definitely, you know, the, just the German experience, Bundesliga experience. Just, he's a physical center back that sees the game well. Though he did get lucky with a few uh, fouls in the first half, <laughs> I will say. <laughs> now, uh, you mentioned no Polisic, no Zach Steffen. Um, a couple interesting choices here by Greg Berhalter in the lineup of MLS guys over guys playing in big leagues in Europe. Chose Jossie Zardes over Sargent. Zardes did score two goals in this game. Uh, chose Ariola over Yedlin, in my opinion. I think Yedlin and Dest can both play on the right side. I don't think they're competing for one right back position. I think you can play Yedlin higher up. Uh, you could maybe even potentially play Dest higher up and Yedlin back. You mm-hmm. Choose your your poison there. Uh, Jackson Ewell over Alfredo Morales in the midfield was surprising to me, considering Ewell hadn't played much at all at club level in, in a month, and. Uh, and Morales has been in good form, and I think he is the sort of poor man's Jermaine Jones that right now the U.S. could really use to be, uh, like, as Jurgen Klinsmann used to say, someone who can step on the feet of opposing players. <laughs> that Actually, those names that you just said, the, the MLS over Europe, that might be part of the answer to the whole 37% possession, you know, especially with Michael Bradley not being there. Obviously, he plays for Toronto, or at this moment. Um, but I, it doesn't surprise me that... Berhalter did this. I mean, we've asked him before, Planet Football TV, we asked him about the whole idea of how he sees Europe-based players to MLS. He obviously has a strong affinity to domestic league players. He loves Zardes. I mean, he loves him. He loves what he does, whether it's good or bad. He had a good day, but I just think when you have a healthy U.S. squad, I mean, and, you know, if Josh Sargent continues to play well, I just, I think that there needs to be an overall look of what he wants but th- we're not going to get any time near away from this idea that he's going to, you know, really focus a lot on MLS. I agree with you about Yedlin. You know, he could be a good right winger and Dest, who, who had a really good game. It was Canada, but he had a really good game. Uh, and they could really complement each other on the right wing. We also have mentioned Jordan Morris, who's in terrific yeah. form, uh, scored the first goal two minutes in. Really nice play to create uh, the second goal um, that Zar- you know, Zaris' first goal of the game. Um, you know, Morris, Morris has like we see him in person as I did in Seattle. Uh, his speed is really impressive. No, he his acceleration is yeah. crazy. He's like a physical. He's you. You mentioned poor man's. He's like the poor man's version of uh, Adama Traore, like the poor, <laughs> poor, 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 poor man's version. But he has that type of physical speed that, and also if you're going fifty fifty against him, his body, you know, his upper body is very strong. Listen, the other thing, I'll just finally say one thing because maybe we'll keep talking about it. But I want my biggest thing for the U.S. men's national team. What do you do away from home? Yeah. What do you like? Okay, Cuba. Cayman Islands coming, baby, <laughs> against Cuba. <laughs> hey, we, we will find out. Hey, we laugh, but what happened against Trinidad and Tobago, right? So, but what do you do, USA, away from home? Yeah. That's going to be. The ultimate decider for you, I think. Um, and, you know, we'll see. But Well, there was an indication from Ernie Stewart's press conference, which we'll talk about in a second, that they have for the March window potentially some away games at difficult opposition. That, to me, is key. Key. You know? Um, let's bring up Ernie Stewart's press conference. This took place before the Canada game, but basically the whole point of it, and U.S. soccer called this press conference, which I think is important to note, um, that 
this was a giant vote of confidence for Greg Berhalter. And some of the things that Ernie Stewart said were, to put it mildly, head scratchers for me. Um, one quote in particular, when I evaluate Greg and the coaching staff and what I've seen today, I'm a pleased man. Um, I don't know what planet he's been on, but or what he's seeing. Now, I, I understand process can matter over results to an extent. Process matters. Process matters a lot. And so maybe he is seeing a process with Burhalter that he likes that the rest of us aren't seeing every day. But I cannot believe he would say that in those circumstances, even now post-Canada, because literally Greg Burhalter should have resigned if they had lost that game Friday night. It's on brand to me. I think I have a lot of respect for Ernie Stewart, but I think it's 50% covering his own back, no? Well, he made this hire. He hired, or he interviewed two people, we're told, for this job. Didn't interview a ton of people. We've had those discussions before. The process, actual, the actual process of hiring the, the manager coach was a disaster. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's protecting the guy he hired. I think that's exactly what it is. And I think he's trying to calm the fires in, in a sort of diplomatic way, but he's not, it's not truthful. How can you say that you're pleased with what you're seeing? And I, and I would say, too, with like the, we talk about the way the U.S. played, 37% possession, struck on the counter a lot, set pieces. That's what the U.S. is best at. Right. This is what the best U.S. teams have always been. They've been hard to play against, and they've had a couple players who can do cool things in the attack, especially on the counterattack. I remember the 2010-2009 Bob Bradley teams. They countered against good teams. They had Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey, basically at the height of their powers. And they did good things. Yeah. Listen, ay, ay, ay. It's, like, it's going back <laughs> to your point. It's one game. I mean, let's go, yeah. back, to, let's go back to September when the U.S. lost 3-0 to Mexico, right? It's, I'm not saying that that's also the definition, but we need to see an overall progress against tough opposition. If you're going to have March friendlies that are tough away from home, that to me is going to be a better indicator of, of where we stand, especially now because now we have a nice long break where he has a lot of time to figure out what he wants. There'll be a January camp, I'm sure, but we need to see now a progression, not just now at home to Canada. What do you do when you play away from home against tough opposition, specifically non-CONCACAF opposition? Correct. Uh, inside CONCACAF, Mexico wins at Panama, 3-0. Raul Jimenez, which is how you pronounce his last name. It keeps getting butchered. <laughs> I'm about to have my head explode. Raul Jimenez, two goals. Good stuff from Mexico. Yeah. Good stuff from Mexico. The project is, is still on course. Uh, everything is clicking. Uh, Edson Alvarez as well topped in the, the other goal and made it 3 nothing. And, you know, it's it's what Tata Martino is, is working on. And, again, part of my uh, analysis on the U.S. men's national team is the same on, on Mexico. It's, you know, let's see now, you know, what happens outside of CONCACAF outside of Nations League. These are all good matches. It's all very well to see both Liga MX players, Europe-based players, develop under the Tata Martino philosophy. But now, let's see what you do. I mean, I'm imagining that Mexico has exactly the same strategy in the March friendlies, start playing against possibly Conmebol, maybe Europe, you know, matches in order to really see where you stand. I mean, listen, let's not forget that it wasn't too long ago when uh, the previous manager had some really good end-of-year friendlies against Europe-based players and you know it was a st strong world cup but mexico wants to see more and tata martino is working towards that is this the point when i bring back my idea of the nations league that would involve 
CONMEBOL and CONCACAF, how much better that would have been than just CONCACAF? Because I mean, and, and it could have happened. Oh, it absolutely. Happened. I, I think it just benefits everybody because I think what UEFA teams need to realize too is that the ultimate, you know, uh, bucket of gold is is the world cup and you're going to face non-continent based opposition this would be a really good way of doing that uh mexico also getting to the final of the under 17 world cup down in brazil a tournament where the u.s went out very meekly uh in the group stage uh brazil ends up coming from behind late to win two to one in the final in brasilia Thoughts on the game? Yeah, a penalty in the 83rd minute, I think. Uh, and then in stoppage time, uh, Lazaro scored a nice goal from a cross, made it 2-1. And it's <laughs> it's so funny because Brazil didn't actually uh, qualify. But because the under-17 World Cup, uh, men's World Cup was originally meant to be in Peru, but that didn't happen, so it had to get moved to Brazil. Then they became the hosts, and then now they end up winning 2-1. Listen, it was a very good tournament for Mexico, and it's a nice contrast to see all the things that we're talking about U.S. soccer. And, you know, um, Efrain Alvarez was great against the Netherlands. He scored a ridiculous free kick yeah. to, to make it to the final, and it's just another topic conversation where, you know, this is one now that probably feels very at home with Mexico, and there's so many players just like him waiting to decide what future lies ahead. Uh, obviously, we've talked about this before. And it's another conversation. But that's the Mexican youth program right now. No, it's and, it's and, recruiting and, and, a lot of American-based Mexicans. And Alvarez had played for the U.S. at Correct. youth level, U.S. youth national teams. And Tom Marshall had a good story on him uh, for ESPN not too long ago where Efrain and his father said that he just didn't feel welcomed by U.S. soccer. And that's not a solitary uh, narrative. It's Correct. happened before. Correct. Um, while we're in North America here, uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic deciding to end his time with the L.A. Galaxy. They said it was mutual, I guess. Go um, back to playing baseball. <laughs> and having or, one of the all-time great baseball. tweets. <laughs> Trolling baseball in the same, in the same tweet. Um, and I, I want to ask you about what you think his legacy is. Uh, in MLS over two seasons, uh, and where he goes next. Nobody can deny that Slatan Ibrahimovic coming to MLS was obviously, especially from a marketing perspective, so great. Nobody can also deny just you know the the legendary status that he brought. If you want to argue that, we can give you statistics. Just a tremendous amount of goals. I don't have the piece of paper in front of me, but I believe it was fifty three goals and in fifty eight, including yeah. playoffs, and not like that's just insane. So nobody can also deny just the way that he is off the field, on the field, leaving by grabbing his crotch and saying, you know, everything that comes with Latin Ibrahimovic, whether you love him or hate him, you can't deny the fact that this man just brings crowds, brings attention, and he is a tremendous talent. From his karate kick against Toronto to his hat trick against LAFC in the first El Trafico that he played, this is just a player that really delivered when it came to a designated player and what he did. Having said all that, LA Galaxy had to know that he wasn't enough because there's much more than this team needed in order to win MLS Cup. And I think that it's an interesting narrative that we can talk about Slatan and MLS. I think, yes, I, I welcome Slatans. It's just great to see. But at the same time, there needs to be the other side, which is, you know, incorporating more your Rudiases and your Carlos Velas and these players that also, you know, help at a longer scheme because, you know, he wasn't 
Carlos Vela is not just here for one season or two seasons. The hope is that he stays for longer. Slatan, we always knew that it was going to be year per year, season per season, and much like an NBA model, he dictated what he wanted, and that's not really our game, I think. So I, I think it's possible to say, on the one hand, that Zlatan, I'm glad he came here. He provided more sort of indelible moments, highlights, than any player by far over the last couple of years in MLS. And it's also possible to say that the LA Galaxy will be a better team without him next year. Correct. You know, and that this allows Dennis Tecloza, this allows Guillermo Barascoloto to build a team the way they want to, and I don't think Ibrahimovic totally fit that. I mean, let's look at the last two MLS Cup winners. Seattle Sounders is not relying on a superstar like Zlatan Ibrahimovic, and as good as Joseph Martinez is and Miguel Almiron is, they didn't and they don't have the Zlatan Ibrahimovic you know, uh, reputation, and yet... Atlanta won because it was a, it was it's a system and a culture that you know pretty much embodied a win and it it was an amazing thing. So I think you're right. I think LA Galaxy um, knows that it, Slatan wasn't enough, but they will learn from this. And I mean, always look at top down and defensive all the way up. There's so many more pieces that that need to be done, and it's not just the Galaxy. There are plenty of other teams that need to learn from this. But I mean. Thank you for everything, Slatan. It was amazing, and we'll see what happens next. Yeah, I mean, like, it seems like Italy is the most likely destination. It's very clear he was not making a retirement announcement. He does not plan to retire. Um, part of me would love to see another MLS team acquire him. I don't see that happening. Um, and it's funny, you know, he saw the Maradona film uh, by Asif Kapadia and put out stuff, oh, Napoli might be an interesting one. And like, <laughs> actually... It wouldn't be bad. It wouldn't be bad. And I and I think it would actually be a potential fit. Um, I think Serie A is the closest place where he's going. You know, a smaller team in Italy than Napoli seems unlikely to me. Um, the only reason why I also... I know that the AC Milan reports have also been maybe nullified a little but the only see I just I, I think that he's at a point in his career where he thinks more about what team can I save or what team mm. can I so Napoli is one for sure because they obviously the main, their main target is to dethrone Juventus uh, and with Inter Milan doing well uh, you know that could be a, a, a conversation there but I think Serie A Italy he knows it you know he wants to play there we'll see I mean the other thing one other possibility put out I think there's no actual reports that this is even a likelihood. Uh, but Craig Burley on, on ESPN threw out the possibility of Liverpool in January, which yeah. um, if he... I, I kind of like that idea, though. I mean, like, if you were looking for a plan B in a game and in a situation where it was accepted that he wasn't going to be a starter unless they had an injury, but they don't have a lot of depth up front, you know, at Liverpool. And so I kind of like the idea. Well, a six-month... You know, you know, contract that just, you know, allows him to be just a backup, especially because the main problem for Liverpool or obstacle right now is scheduling and amount of matches yeah. and fitness. Mohamed Salah already, you know, uh, you know, had to recuperate and didn't feature for Egypt during this window. So, you know, there there is a lot of needs. I mean, Thierry Henry kind of did the same thing when he went to Arsenal for that farce. I mean, he wasn't as helpful, but Ibrahimovic could serve like that. It's Latin. Slatan will probably shock us. He, well, go, he wants to go to a place that's relevant. That's yeah. a, you know, and maybe he would say, I make a place relevant. He could be Aston Villa's backup to Wesley. Yeah, really. <laughs> Speaking of Thierry Henry, Thierry Henry has taken the position of head coach of the Montreal Impact. Um, obviously, Thierry Henry has a history in MLS. 
uh, with the New York Red Bulls, in a uh, sort of fascinating tenure. He didn't really he didn't win anything. Uh, I guess they won a supporter shield. Uh, didn't win MLS Cup, um, but uh, he would get frustrated with the league, with his teammates, uh, with a lot of things. But it wasn't a negative experience for him, I don't think. I think he likes living in this part of the world. Um, and he was he was totally stuck in on on following soccer. Like he would be talking to people, I remember, about like random CONCACAF Champions League games involving teams from El Salvador. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> but like he he really does he really did go all in. Oh yeah. Listen, I mean, it's very okay. He like was earning his coaching licenses in 2015 with Arsenal's youth system, and then we can't forget the fact that he was a, a very important part of Belgium's you know World Cup team going all the third you know when they ended third he was Roberto Martinez's assistant manager so he's he's slowly been earning his credentials. Having said that, you know the Monaco disaster was a disaster where. You know, he left after 20 matches, leaving the team in 19th place after his departure. And aside from that, he made decisions that seemed very egocentric, for last of a better, lack of a better word. So it's still up in the air to question who is Thierry Henry as a manager? What does he offer? And <laughs> coming to MLS is one thing, coming to the impact is, is another. And... I don't know. I don't. I honestly have no idea what to tell you. I, this is not going to be, I think, a Patrick Vieira story. Um, I think this is still up for grabs because we yet don't know what kind of a manager Thierry is. Well, and keep in mind here, I, the entertainment factor for Montreal, just from a watchability uh, yeah. like standpoint, goes through the roof now. For at least compared to what it was. I mean, there was not a lot. I Piotti's a good player, but like. There was not a lot over the last couple of years reason for neutrals to watch the Montreal Impact, and now there's more. I think now it's more about the coach and his you know, trigger finger happy owner. Joey Saputo fires guys more quickly than any other owner in MLS, and so this could be just a complete disaster. It could, it could be a complete disaster, and I worry about there. Are, there are certain times when a legendary player, somebody that's just renowned in the game for one of the greatest ever, he is France's all-time scorer, a World Cup champion. We know about his history. Sometimes when you manage, and this is no disrespect to Montreal players, but obviously he comes with a certain level of reputation. What are you expecting of them? Because I did hear a lot of those reports from Monaco, how Monaco players felt that they were patronized a lot of the time by Thierry Henry. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I, I just my, I have a big question mark over what's going to happen. And like you said, it could, be, it could be a disaster. And there were reports as well of the fact that he was the only interview. Yeah, that's literally what they said on radio. And uh, how could you only interview one person for an important job? That's just absolutely crazy. I will point out as well, Montreal is the team that pushed out Jesse Marsh. Mm. And also Vancouver, another team that has been a disaster in recent years, didn't hire Jesse Marsh when they could have, and they chose Carl Robinson instead. So <laughs> just think about that. I can't wait for La Telenovela or MLS in next season. <laughs> uh, some other movement uh, in the league with trades last week. Darwin Quintero goes from Minnesota to Houston. Portland has dropped its contract, like nullified its contract with Brian Fernandez, designated player. 
Uh, Darlington Nagby uh, traded as expected to Columbus. Thoughts on these moves? I think Darwin Quintero to Houston is a great move for both the yeah, player and too. the team. I think I think this is going to be the one to watch, definitely in these early stages. Obviously, there's still more moves to happen, but that one is a really a sexy move. I like it. Darwin Quintero is just such a good player, and all he needed really was the type, the right type of system. And I think that as you know, Adrian Healy's system maybe didn't fit Heath. Heath. <laughs> Heath. <laughs> Didn't really fit Minnesota's, uh, you know, starting now with Houston, like, sort of revamping right. itself. I think it's going to be a team that kind of maybe focuses a lot more on, like, what he can do. He's, Quintero's a very direct player, but he's also really versatile. He can be anywhere on the pitch, and you don't even know he's coming. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, Nagbe, I think Nagbe, is, uh, again, could be the, the other storyline that, that seems interesting to see what happens in the crew. Yeah. I mean, you look at Quintero, in, in my opinion, that's a much better fit for him than being in Minnesota. Yeah. Adrian Heath didn't even start him in big games, so you knew there was something wrong there. Adrian Heath has gotten more power in that front office during the offseason here. Um, now, Houston, Tab Ramos coaching, Quintero comes in. They've got some good players. You know, I would love to see Houston start to care about the Houston Dynamo. Yeah. And that's on their ownership group. Yeah. But I, they're doing some good things. I'm rooting for Tab Ramos big time. I'm a big fan, so we'll see what happens. You know, Darlington Nagby, I think, uh, you know, is a pretty special, unique player when it comes to the U.S. national team. He's not playing for the U.S. national team right now, but, you know, the U.S. pool doesn't have players like him who are so comfortable on the ball in tight space. Uh, he has been a very effective MLS player. It's interesting to see how often he's moved around, though, right? Yeah. Um, and it makes you wonder a little bit if he's high maintenance, but he's also worked with Caleb Porter before, and uh, and he's very committed to his club team, obviously at the expense of the national team. Uh, Portland uh, and Brian Fernandez. That's just I'm, I'm I'm hoping Brian Fernandez gets help because he was in the the league substance abuse policy, didn't get through it. Obviously, has had problems before uh, with addiction issues, and when you know he first came into the league with, with scoring goals and. Uh, he's a real talent. I hope he goes someplace where he can continue that. You know, Portland didn't want to drop him. No, know? and I'm with you. I, there are bigger things than the game, and this is yeah. about him just taking care of himself outside of the game, so I wish him well. Um, I told you we'd have a lot to talk about this week. So much. Um, let's uh, let's head to Europe. Uh, Euro 2020 is obviously next summer, and this is the last qualifying window except for the playoffs in March. And so... Who is in? 17 of 24 spots are taken as of our recording of this Monday morning. I'm going to read them off. Austria, Belgium, Croatia, Czech Republic, England, Finland, France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, Poland, Portugal, Russia, Spain, Sweden, Turkey. I always like it when the Turks are in. Ukraine. Finland is in its first major tournament ever. And that's awesome. And we Did get to see Pookie in... We're going to have a pookie party in, in the <laughs> European Championship, which uh, is not happening so much in the Premier League right now. But what a, what a great result for Finland. The first time ever in a major tournament, European Championship 2020. Did you see the celebrations, by the way? They went crazy. I've been to Helsinki. It's a very fun city. Yeah, me too. The farther My theory is the farther north you go, the more fun people have and the higher per capita number of bars. I've been, if you go to northern Minnesota, you'll notice this. The colder uh, it gets, they want to warm up. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
Finland is in. I have no idea how they never qualified when Yari Littman played for them, but they never qualified for anything in those days. This is a team that, again, is going through a mini revolution just through their you know young players. I mean, Timmy Puk is not the only one. They have a squad that is playing in decent teams, decent leagues, and together, you know, they are they're kind of like an Iceland 2.0 where they, there's a lot of synchronicity amongst them and they've just really grinded out results and it's going to be great to see them in the European Championships for sure. So we're going to see three more spots get filled uh, here on Monday and Tuesday for the field and then there's going to be four spots left and this is where it gets a little crazy. There's a lot of teams that can still qualify because there's going to be 16 teams competing for those four spots in playoffs next next March during the window and it's a little crazy and complicated, but like it has to do with the UEFA Nations League. And they're actually going to give a spot to one team from League D. Amazing. And so it's a little crazy, but this is a fact that one of these four teams is going to qualify for Euro 2020. Georgia, North Macedonia, which I didn't even know was a country until this morning. You, are you joking? I've got like three North Macedonia shirts. <laughs> I mean, is there a South Macedonia? Actually, <laughs> what's interesting is Blackman Andonovsky is originally from North Ma- Macedonia. So interesting. Um, might even still be eligible. Maybe he could play in Euro 2020. <laughs> um, Kosovo, which actually is pretty good. Yeah, they actually, they're not bad. And Belarus. One of those four teams is going to win on the field in March, a spot in Euro 2020. Okay, listen, the cynical <laughs> in many can say, oh, here we go, expanding. But I love this. It's one one team. I mean, can you imagine North Macedonia against France in the European Championship? I mean, it's going to be... I, I just think that I get what the point is to try and strengthen, you know, the lower aspects of the UEFA teams, mm-hmm. like these teams... Now, obviously, there's the argument to be made, just like you know, in the future World Cups, well, the more you expand, the less the quality. But I will say this: that the actual Euro 2016 tournament, the first one with 24 teams, was disappointing to me right. in terms of the games. Uh, you know, the fact that Portugal could finish third in its group and still win the tournament. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. I'm a romantic. <laughs> I, I just I love it. I think. Listen, I, I think we also need to have a little special mention to the Netherlands, by the way, just because obviously they qualified for a major yeah, tournament. Yeah, but it's a, <laughs> good job, guys. But this is a one eighty, though. I, I mean, know. they they were not good, and you know, look what's happened now. Uh, and the common, you you now see a team, a really young, you know, energetic team. I mean, we obviously know about the talent. It's going to be interesting to see what they do in these in this in this championship. Uh, Portugal is one of the teams that qualified. Cristiano Ronaldo scored his 99th international goal, second all-time. And then there's all this club talk about how he got yanked uh, in the last game for Juventus, that he's been carrying an injury. Um, Nobody's ever at at 100% totally, right? But, like, you know, even Ronaldo at 80%, pretty good. And, you know, sorry, like, he's not... He doesn't care about individuals as much. He cares per man. And Paulo Dybala is playing better. He just is. And you know, uh, when he feels that Ronaldo is not a hundred percent, he's gonna he's gonna take care of him. And see, you know, Dybala came in literally ten minutes after that. He scored the goal in the last game. So, but yep, uh, Ronaldo on ninety nine goals, one goal away. 
uh, he'll have to wait until, I guess, March. Uh, one other story that's happening in France right now is whether Karim Benzema should be welcomed back into the French national team. Obviously, he hasn't played for France since 2015. After the sex tape scandal with his French national team teammate, Matthew Valbuena, um, I, I just think it's the most bizarre story ever. Um, and then there was also some incident when Benzema criticized Deschamps uh, saying it was like a racial thing, and then like Deschamps' house got graffiti on it. Basically, as long as Deschamps is the France coach, and they are the world champions, by the way, Benzema's not coming in. No, this is just purely exactly that. As long as Deschamps is the manager, Benzema's not, it's not coming anywhere near. I interviewed Benzema this year, and you know, he is. As interesting as what happened? Well, we you know we had an interview about you know just kind of the you know restart reset button for Real Madrid. You know this was in the summer, obviously, and you know with uh, Jovic coming in as well. So it's really about him and the club, and also you know his new striking partner ho- hoping to help him. But he's a very how can I describe it? He's very particular and direct about like what he wants to tell you when you ask him a question as many players are because you know they want to protect their image but then you read all these things that are going on with him so the phrase sex tape did not come up it, well you know i didn't want to get punched in the face <laughs> <laughs> how are real madrid gonna do this season by the way can you talk to me about your sex tape uh, um yeah i mean he's 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 a terrific goal scorer but like i, I see no reason to bring him in given the the bad blood no nah, you said it as long as Deschamps is still managed it's gonna happen and to be honest from a talent perspective france doesn't need him yeah they're world champion um other news uh big news on the u.s women's national team bigger than folks might realize the uh, u.s women's high performance coach don scott reportedly leaving the u.s women's national team for england uh her contract is up at the end of November, at the end of this month. So I think we're going to get a little clear understanding what happened here by then. But if this is accurate in the reports, there's a lot of them over there in the UK, um, it would be a big loss. Uh, Don Scott's been involved with this U.S. team for this entire decade, basically, and has had a huge impact on the fitness levels of the U.S. players, which obviously have been extraordinary. Yeah, that was going to be my question. For somebody that wants to know just how important Don Scott is for the U.S. women's national setup, you just answered it. It's a you know a, a huge role, you know, making sure that this tremendous talented squad, you know, is able. You know, when you just saw proof of it in the summer, this is a team that really was up against it because every team want every team wants to, you know completely physically impose against the U.S. because they feel that that's pretty much their only answer. And you need to be fit, ready to go for 90 minutes, and Don Scott is a big part of that. Well, and another intriguing thing is Vladko Andonovsky literally told me here in our interview that he was going to retain Don Scott, and, mm. the, and the reaction from the fan base was a big sigh of relief. She's kind of the cult figure among U.S. women's national team fans uh, who— We'll see how this plays out here, but are, are very unhappy. And let's not forget right that this is a transitional U.S. women's team. A young, the young players who are like looking to make an impact in the Olympics. She's she's key in this. Uh, let's talk about South America. This is that phase when the games aren't that important ahead of Copa America next summer, and also ahead of the very long World Cup qualification tournament. Another Copa America next summer. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, it's listen. The key, I mean, the conversation around South American teams is is less about Copa America and more about World Cup qualifiers. That mm. obviously is their number one aspect. So, as you said, it, it this is a big window since the end of the of the World Cup. It's, and if you're a team that didn't make it to the World Cup, you're waiting a long time to sort of revolutionize yourself again and create a new process. So there are many things that are interesting. To me, Uruguay is still looking like one of the top two, you know, strong teams in, in the continent. Tavares is not going anywhere yet. I love that and that philosophy is still there. There are so many young players. We obviously already know about Fernandez for, uh, you know, LAFC, but there's they, Lucas Torreira, Arsenal. They have so many young players that support your Edinson Cavani's and Lucho Suarez, etc. And then Argentina. I think that what I'm seeing in the last... Promising. It's promising. It's it's a, the Super Clásico, you know, had a lot of talent. Or Neymar didn't play again for Brazil, but... And it was in a neutral ground in Saudi Arabia, but this was Lionel Messi's return after a three-month suspension. And now you see a system that that's, looks good and beating Brazil. Um, Messi missed the penalty, but he acted on the on the rebound. But you still now you have these young players like Lautaro Martinez, who's doing so well. You're building now a philosophy that seems to be going the way that Scaloni wants it. And so I wouldn't be surprised if now Argentina finally begins to get it together. I don't want Argentinians tweeting at me and that I just completely jinxed it. Um, and then obviously Brazil is always going to be a contender with Chiche. Um, the, the, the talent just comes through and through the entire time. Um, Chile is an interesting one. Chile suspended its friendly, which was due on Tuesday night with Peru as a as players used it as a form of solidarity uh, with what's going on in the country. Protests. So they pro protest. Yep, massive protests, and they refused to play the game. Peru accepted it, obviously. Uh, the Chilean Federation accepted it. And, you know, the last week, uh, Rueda, their manager, Colombian manager, said, you know, I, I, in not so many words, but as much as I understand and respect what's happening... And obviously, let's not forget domestic soccer too. By the way, is is you know not happening right now in, in the country. If if all of this, if there's no soccer, you know what am I gonna do here? And that's that's gonna be something to watch out for. As a, we see what's going on, which is more importantly, what's going on in the country. But b, you know, as we look to the World Cup qualifiers next year, what's gonna happen with Chile itself? Who was already going through a transition anyway? By the way, Bolivia just had a coup as well. And Bolivia as well, right, yeah. with Eva Morales and everything that's going on. So there's a lot of things going on in South America that are both influenced and, um, you know, a repercussion of, of the political and social reasons that are happening in the country. A uh, couple other things before we depart here. Man City Chelsea is this Saturday when we get the Premier League and European club soccer going again. And Chelsea's above City in the table. This is a big game. Especially for, so for City. Yes. That's literally why I brought it up. We know what Frank Lampard's doing with Chelsea. Yes, it's the biggest major test since uh, facing Liverpool earlier. This is the big one because they're in momentum. Everything's going well. So now they play Manchester City. But really, the storyline here is Manchester City. Man City loses this game. 
and and Liverpool continues to win, this gap gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So this is a big one on so many accounts. And I'm with you. I think the thing to watch out for here is how is Man City going to respond after losing to Liverpool? And that, to me, is the storyline, and it's going to be a, a big one to watch for sure. Yeah. Also, from an American perspective, Christian Pulisic will see how he's responded to this hip injury that kept him from being with the U.S. team. Is it going to keep him out of the lineup because he's been so good lately for Chelsea? Yeah, and for an American fan, it would be a shame to see him miss this if, because this would be a really great you know, uh, test to see Christian Pulisic face Manchester City. Also in England, Arsenal versus Tottenham set a league record in the WSL of more than 38,000 fans. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, we talked about this back in September, how the WSL is doing so much uh, post-World Cup boom to make sure that, you know, it really celebrates and uh, tells the, the product of what is the WSL. And this weekend, apparently, we no, not apparently, like a statistic, so the most attendance overall in the league and the first ever North London derby in the league, you know, reached uh, more than 38,000. And it was great to see, which is still important to remember that in the same weekend, female players in Spain went on strike because of lack of pay, lack of benefit support, lack of infrastructure support, claiming, you know, they need more, obviously, and clubs claiming that the demands that the women are demanding are too high which is, to me, kind of insane. Yeah, it is. But also I would say this, that I've always sort of felt like players' unions in world soccer are less powerful than the players' unions in, like, the— and this is on the men's side, too— than players' unions in, like, the NBA or the NFL. Oh, yeah, for sure. But Spain has always been sort of an exception. I've, I've always been told that the the men's players' union in Spain, and apparently the women's— um, are stronger, more powerful. That must mean they have more buy-in from the players. Interesting. So, yeah. you know, a good story in WSL and one to watch out for in Spain. That is it for this week's podcast, looking back at the weekend in soccer. We do this every Monday. Come back Thursday for my weekly interview with somebody intriguing in the soccer world. Luis Miguel, thank you, my friend. And we'll see you at Soccer X. 